I realized that I needed to take responsibility for my life and the choices that I was making. And I really saw how my creativity had been shrinking and how that whole box that I was living in was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That's when I really chose to take responsibility and to take action for the things that I truly wanted most. So those dreams, those ideas that I'd be telling myself in my head, when I started actually believing it and taking steps one at a time courageously, naturally over time, I started feeling empowered. I realized that when I was honoring my authentic truth and voice that it built confidence and built momentum. That's Mark Shapiro, and this is episode 175 of Wellness Force Radio. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this episode, we're talking with my friend, TEDx speaker and podcast host, Mark Shapiro, about the art of authentic connection and its relationship to our emotional intelligence. Now, why this is so fascinating, what's most intriguing about this upcoming conversation is that authenticity kind of a buzzword right now. I'm sure you hear about this all the time online, but truly being authentic and connecting with yourself first, then other people has never been more challenging than right now. With the rise of social media and where you see the highlight reels from everybody's life on their green screen lens for just the best of the best vacations around the world, not ever showing those intimate moments where we're all perfectly imperfect. These things don't get shared. Now, this aspect of only seeing the highlight reels is actually degrading our ancient brain's perception and tapping into the signals that cue our brain for FOMO or fear of missing out, as well as so many other psychologically challenging things that honestly our society is struggling to figure out right now. So if you've ever dealt or dealing with FOMO for being your most authentic self in social situations, the art of authenticity, this conversation is going to be perfect timing for you. And in this moment right here, right now, it's the perfect time for you to take a deep breath. It might be the first time you've done it all day, but this is your breath break. Put your hands on your belly, take a deep breath, and just know that all wellness starts with our breath, followed by the foods and micronutrients we eat, which is why I'm so stoked to give a huge shout out to our show sponsor, Organifi, creators of Organifi Green Juice, but it's not actually juice, it's powder, it's slow dried to maintain its nutrient density and bioavailability. This green juice was built for people like you and me that live this fast paced lifestyle, parents, professionals, anyone really who tends to feel the afternoon slump, the 2 to 3 p.m. energy crash, but does not want to have another cup of coffee. This has been a total lifesaver for me, especially as I'm traveling. I throw two packets of Organifi in my computer bag and I'm all good to travel with my spirulina, ashwagandha and all the other adaptogens that give me more energy. So don't wait another minute. If you've been curious about giving this a test drive to get more energy in your day, hop over to OrganifiShop.com, enter code wellnessforce to save 20% off, not just your green juice, but the entire order. That's OrganifiShop.com. Use code wellnessforce for 20% off today. And today I have a question for you. You don't have to answer right now, but let this sink into your subconscious mind. What can social media be for you? How can you use social media to practice your art of being authentic and really listen to what's going on inside of your mind? Well, coming up right now with Mark Shapiro, we're talking about this as well as why he left Showtime Networks to create the Are You Being Real company and workshops. What Mark believes are the three biggest social media fails, how you can authentically communicate with others through digital tools, the power of voice and video when it comes to real human connection, why you don't have to feel afraid of allowing yourself to feel anger as well as the other full palette of emotions, how these are actually tools for you to let those emotions go. By actually feeling them, I got to interview Mark live in person at his house in Los Angeles. Now, let's step in to this dynamic conversation right here, right now with Mark Shapiro. This is Josh Trent. I'm recording live at the house and studio of Mark Shapiro. He is the podcast host of the one and only podcast. Also, he's a TEDx speaker, which we're going to talk about his talk, the art of really just authentic relating, authentic connection. And he's also a social experimenter, which is the first time I've heard this term, man. Mark, share with us, what exactly is a social experimenter? I'm still figuring that out. No, uh, social experimenter. So I love to do social experiments on vulnerability connection and community. So those are pretty much the three criteria. And that's pretty much how I've chosen my work. So the podcast, the one and only is an experiment in vulnerability and openness and 
letting ourselves be seen. So I just had you on my podcast and uh, asked you a bunch of thought-provoking personal questions. Challenging questions, questions that made me take a deep breath. So I'm going to try to do service to you as well today. Please. You know, on Wellness like First, we always talk so much, Mark, about this emotional intelligence and how that relates to the physical. You have done plenty of work. We actually both did a training together. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, I interviewed uh, Michael Strasner. And that was, was he your instructor as well in MITT or was you have a different one of many, but yes, one of many. So go back. We'll link that in the show notes. You have this incredible story, man, over a decade working for Showtime. People know Showtime, sports, movies, anything you can imagine. But you made this huge leap in the past couple of years. Um, I want to dive into that story a little bit before we explore like this real authentic relating that is so needed on the planet right now. What actually got you working for Showtime? Did you wake up when you were a kid and like, I want to work for Showtime? I went to Emory University in Atlanta and I was in business school and I wanted to stay in Atlanta for the summer and I was applying for a summer internship and I was looking for an internship in either sports or entertainment because those were my two greatest passions. And I saw on Emory's internet that there was a job posting at Showtime Network. So I immediately got the, I know Showtime. Showtime is cool. Yeah. And uh, I applied for an internship at Showtime and uh, I got the gig and put in a good three months that summer at Showtime. And uh, when I graduated from Emory later that year, a job had opened up a full-time position. And because I had excelled as an intern, that I got this opportunity to get a full-time gig in sales and marketing at Showtime. And for me, the reason why I was attracted to Showtime, I said that I was interested in entertainment, but I wanted to be part of the creative side. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be picking the next great show, the next Dexter, the next Weeds. So th- those shows actually hadn't been on the air yet, but you get the idea. I was when like, you were I a little kid, to be did you have the developer. same fire? Like when I you were did, yeah. I did. I always wanted to create. I go to so many movies as a kid, and I always wanted to be in content development. I think so that's that's I why I picked Showtime. It's unique about you because, like, we're here in your home in LA. There's always been this, just obviously, Tinseltown. We're in Hollywood, right? There's always been this theatrical kind of creative vibe here. When I look at how many life coaches, spiritual development, personal development coaches, you're not any of those. You're, you're a social experimenter. Even your podcast that we recorded right before this was an experiment. You even said that during the interview. Sure. This curiosity, this fire. If you go back to when you were a kid, who brought that out of you? Did your parents support your curiosity? My brother did. My brother was uh, very charismatic. He still is. And he would like pull me out on stage with him. And so we'd sing and we'd dance and it would be super goofy. And that's where I think that passion for entertainment really came into my life. And then I put it on the shelf essentially because I worked at Showtime, but I wasn't doing entertainment. I was in sales and marketing and I was there for 12 years. So I was very detached from why I was even at Showtime in the first place. I think a big part of anyone listening can relate to this because we've all had careers that eventually there's just like stale bread on the counter. Like we know we got to eat it. We know we got to do it, but there's just no joy. There's just no enjoyment. So did you reach a culmination point? Was there like one threshold looking back where you're like, you know what? I knew in this moment that I was done. Like I, I had experienced enough pain or was it more cumulative to, for you to actually transition to some yeah. of the programs, some of the healing that you do now, some of the work you do now? Both. So I think first I'm a dreamer and a visionary. I, I call myself a visionary. And when I first got that job at Showtime, my idea was, all right, great. I've got my foot in the door. I'm going to learn as much as possible. And at some point I'm going to pivot over to the creative side of the organization. Well, that's easier said than done. And just because I'm excelling in sales and marketing doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to make a lateral move from a manager in sales and marketing to a manager in development. No, you got to learn the ropes from the bottom up. And so I was really good at what I did and that I'd get promoted every couple of years. So for me, once I moved out to LA from Atlanta and transferred from Showtime's Atlanta office to LA office, that if I would have wanted to get into development, I would have had to start over from scratch. And I think I was already making 50, 60 grand at the time. And I didn't want to take a 50% pay cut with no guarantees. 
it takes me so, back to the moment we talked about on your show, which we'll link in the show notes yeah. today. Just such a rad conversation about the truth. How do we get there as quickly as possible? We talk about this so much. And your truth in that moment was like, yeah, this just isn't working anymore. I experienced the same thing in a cubicle. Money was up. Abundance was up financially. Yet right. spiritual suicide was happening. Sure. Did you feel like a part of you was dying? I didn't even know it is the answer. Now, I always wanted to be on the development side, like I said. And I'd come up with all these ideas. I had this document with probably 50 different ideas that I had for the organization. Uh, Some of them were creative ideas. Some of them were new revenue generating ideas for the business. And I had so much fun putting these together and flushing them out. And then one day, once I felt they were ready, I decided to share them with my boss, who was in sales and marketing. And she was like, great, why are you sharing these with me? And I'm like, well, because... I think that they'd be great opportunities for the company. And she was like, didn't know what to do because that wasn't my job. And Showtime wasn't a place, at least at that point in time, I can't speak to what it's like today. I've been gone for two and a half years, but there wasn't that idea or belief that anyone in the company could come up with the next great idea. Now, not to say that one of those business ideas would have been the next multi-million dollar business. For all I know, Maybe they wouldn't have been, but there wasn't even an opening or a possibility for that. So I'd say that that was the first time I looked in the mirror and I was like, huh, maybe this dream of mine isn't possible in terms of at some point making the leap from the business side to the development side. And then there were more examples of that. And it really, I can't put the blame on any person in particular, but I'd say that it was the, the nature of the corporate environment. And Showtime at the time was very much a, a corporate culture. Yeah. On the consumer-facing side of the brand, you know, the tagline was no limits or uh, brace yourself. Like yeah. really bold, like self-expressive taglines. Yet internally, it was just another corporate culture. And ultimately, you know, as a result of some other things that were going on in my life, And the fact that I stopped watching television entirely, I just kind of realized the reason I was staying at Showtime was out of A, safety, and B, it was kind of an ego play because I was making good money and because I had a good title. And I felt like if I was ever going to leave Showtime, I'd want to leave as high as I possibly could be on the ladder because I'd built all these relationships that it was just, there was a lot to lose in my opinion if I were to leave. You just hit gold because people want to jump. It's almost like there's the dream boat on the left and then there's the current responsibilities on the right. And everyone wants the boats to be as close as possible before they actually make the jump. Of course, yeah. Because then they don't end up in the ocean and drowning. So that's a real thing. And I don't want to placate anyone that's, you know, thinking about making a choice of how to change my career from something I have to do to something that I really love, something that I really want to do. That's a big thing. And, you know, you explore so much on your podcast, man, and then all the work you put out, even in your TEDx talk, just this art of being authentic, being real, actually listening to what's going on inside. How did you listen to what was going on inside that made you go from the safe corporate environment to actually doing the dream? Like, what what did that voice direct you to do? The voice has always been there. And, you know, we all have these voices in our heads that, Sometimes they're telling us we're the greatest in the world and we're so loved and other times, you know, beating the crap out of ourselves. And both of those voices and I guess standpoints are both very real for me. I've experienced both sides of the spectrum and I still do. Uh, When I was at Showtime, though, since I was there for so long, I just didn't know any other way. And I felt because I continued just to go to work every day and put my head down and do the best that I could do that my creative box was shrinking. I always had high ambitions for myself, but if I were to leave Showtime, I would have had no idea what other, what I would do. Like I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but what kind of product or service could I come up with? All I know how to do is to launch a great Showtime marketing campaign. So after I got divorced, Uh, Five years ago, I did the MITT training, which you referenced, and that was huge for me because I realized that I needed to take responsibility for my life and the choices that I was making, and I really saw how my creativity had been shrinking and how that whole box that I was living in was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and uh, that's when I really chose to 
take responsibility and to take action for the things that I truly wanted most. So those dreams, those ideas that I'd be telling myself in my head from saying to myself, oh, this is just the flavor of the day and it's going after today it's going to be lost and gone forever because there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to implement that because yeah. I'm a Showtime marketing guy. But when I started actually believing it and taking steps one at a time courageously, uh, naturally over time, I started feeling empowered. I realized that when I was honoring my authentic truth and voice that it built confidence and built momentum. And then it was just one step at a time. Uh, and I ultimately realized that uh, perhaps there was a life after Showtime. And I set a deadline on June 30th of 2015. And I told myself, if I don't get this promotion that I'm going for to become a vice president by June 30th of 2000 of 2014 to 2015, then I was going to leave Showtime. And ultimately, that was a powerful declaration because I didn't even make it a year. I ultimately left in uh, April of 2015 to launch the podcast. How important is it, whether it's letting go of weight or achieving something personally or professionally, how important is it to actually claim a date and declare like, by this date, I will have this thing. I will do this thing. I will be this person. I don't think there's anything more important. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about actually claiming a date when we look at being ourselves, being this authentic human? How do we be authentic if we don't, like we need the accountability. So how important That's is That's the key word. I think it's great to pick a date and dates can be a huge guiding star for you. If there is you know, something, if you want to get your dream relationship by a certain date or you want to clean your bedroom by a certain date, it can be anything small or large, whatever goal that you have. And the date that you pick, it's only as important and it's only as real as you make it. So I could have just set that date and then forgot about it, but I kept reminding myself, of that date. And because I'd remind myself of that date, it got my mind thinking, all right, if I don't get promoted, I want to have some kind of action plan in place. And fortunately, at the same time, I was doing more and more of those emotional intelligence workshops at, at MITT. And one of them, the final exam was to create and facilitate your own workshop. And I created a workshop on authenticity because I had realized that when I had honored that you know, authentic voice, that desire, both in terms of, you know, living my dreams and speaking my truth from moment to moment, that it was so rewarding time and time again. So I created this workshop. People were making changes in their lives as a result of a three-hour workshop. 50 people showed up, which was like huge feedback for me. I was terrified that no one would show up. And because of the results, I realized that I had something. So a couple minutes ago, I was sharing that when I worked at Showtime, I wanted to do something else, but had no idea what I was capable of. But I was constantly taking steps in terms of my own personal development outside of Showtime, doing the workshops, doing that, facilitating that authenticity workshop that I realized, wow, I am capable of something else and I've just created something. And so that's when the light bulb went off. How can I share this with more people? Podcast. Oh my gosh. And this for me, it's like not a similar journey because yours is yours, <laughs> but we all know that there's like a twist and a turn and then there's thresholds and then there's a plan that we might have, but then we get punched in the face, which like, I think Mike Tyson was like, yeah. we all got a plan so we get punched in the face, right? Yeah. Uh, you did get punched in the face, but it wasn't from something that you did. It was because your father had been suffering for, I think a decade or more from early adult onset Alzheimer's. Yep. And so in the process of your transformation, you deal with the loss of your father. And so we've talked about loss on the show before. Like this is a real human thing. This is a universal thing we all deal with. You're growing, you're making this transition. You had been through divorce. And then on top of that, you were forced to deal with this loss of your dad. Like, how did you do that? My dad was sick for so long. And thank, thank you for, you know, honoring my dad and, you know, bringing him up. It's so important. Whenever I even hear or think about him, it, it touches me on such a profound, soulful level. Uh, my dad's a huge inspiration to me. Uh, he passed uh, like 14 months ago, I think. But uh, he was sick for so long with Alzheimer's that it became normal for me that I didn't even like it was just the way my life was. So I don't even look at that as necessarily an extra variable in the equation because that was pretty much the status quo in my life for so many years. 
But things were definitely shaken up when my marriage ended. And that between that and my dad being sick, I think I was really looking for an answer. And uh, fortunately, by doing things differently than I had before, so that was being open to self-development. That was taking the steps that I hadn't even known were available to me for so many years when I was just showing up to work every single day and then going home and watching TV every night. So to me, the possibility of this kind of current life that I'm living now wouldn't have been possible if I just kept doing what I was doing. It was really opening up my eyes and expanding my perspective to something new that ultimately led me to taking additional steps, which gave me more clarity, which led to creating that workshop and then the podcast. Do you feel like Alzheimer's, specifically the adult onset early, is something that not a lot of people know about? I mean, some of the work you put out is around awareness and getting people to be this best version of themselves. Do you feel like the awareness of Alzheimer's is something that gets to rise in our country, in our world? For sure. And I think it's going to happen inevitably because people are living longer and more and more people are suffering from the disease. It gets it's crazy how many people have it. And I believe that it's expected to triple in the next 20 years from like 15 million to 50 million. Don't quote me on the math, but it's somewhere in there. So if you don't have someone in your family with Alzheimer's and this just isn't young onset Alzheimer's like my dad had, that's a very rare case, but more and more people, uh, their lives are being touched by Alzheimer's, whether someone in your family or somebody that, you know, a friend's parent. And uh, it's not just, a disease about forgetfulness. That's actually only the first step. But if you can imagine what it's like to start losing your memory, all of a sudden, like you're going to start being treated differently by other people in the world because people are going to realize that your memory isn't as good, right? Yeah. So that's what I saw firsthand with my dad is he knew that he was losing his memory or that something was changing and it was affecting his social like situations with other people. And then he was just trying to cover it up. And then other people don't know how to communicate with him. They didn't know how to communicate with my mom. They didn't know how to support. And ultimately what happens with Alzheimer's, it's a deteriorating disease. There's no treatment. There's no way to slow it down. There's no cure. Of course, you know, eating healthy food isn't going to hurt. But um, once you have Alzheimer's, it's going to be a downward slope one way or the other, no matter how fast or slow it happens. Uh, and ultimately, my dad forgot how to breathe. You know, it was over the course of 18 years, but like literally he shut down and it was like, you know, a slow process of him losing himself. Now, I don't want to be like a huge downer, but that is the reality yeah. of Alzheimer's disease. Well, thank you for sharing that, man, because it made all of us take a deep breath listening. And um, I think the power behind this is almost like a sense from you that I get that possibly his passing fuels you in the way that you authentically connect and remind other people of what's important. And I think the transition here is pretty easy. It's like, you know, your TEDx talk, you're talking about how social media is this one side of the sword where we connect, yet the other side of the sword is where we're so disconnected. Depression is up. A study was published by the NIH um, since 1990. Mm -hmm. Depression is up 400% since 1990. Why did you do this TED talk? Is it in any way fueling from either the depression epidemic or from the fuel from Alzheimer's and your dad? It's definitely the latter. It's definitely as a result of my dad passing away. So the story, as I tell in the TEDx talk, is my dad passed away and people were hitting me up with text messages and I made a post about it on my Facebook and by far and away, like the most likes and most comments of any Facebook post I made all of last year. And I know my dad was going to pass away for so long, but when he finally did, it was like, wow, this is this is real. This is a life moment. You know, someone, my dad, who's been in my life, all of my life is now gone. And I'm getting all these messages and I want to respond to people. How do I authentically communicate to them? And, you know, I looked at the vast amount of messages and there were a lot. And I think like I had written a couple people back, just sending them like texts and responding to their Facebook messages. And I was like, spending so much time on each message, like crafting out these words. And I'm like, oh, this is painful. So instead I took out my phone and I hit record and I started sending personalized voice messages to a crap ton of people, like so many people. 
And it was therapeutic for me to sit and be like, hey, thank you so much for thinking of me. It, you know, Your friendship means so much to me. It's a really weird time right now. Like I knew this day was coming and I'd tell them my experience and I'd leave maybe a 30 to 45 second message. Now, before I started doing those voice memos when I was replying to people, sometimes a message would take me five minutes to write out. I think we can all relate sometimes totally. when you're going to write someone on social media or write an email out that it takes forever sometimes to craft the perfect words. So what I realized is that not only was it quicker to send people these voice messages, but it was actually super therapeutic for me. I felt great sharing and speaking from my heart. And then the response was also amazing. People felt closer to me because they could hear my voice. They could understand what I was going through. And at the same time, I was like, this is so powerful. I don't want it like that. Now that I've kind of responded to everyone who I wanted to respond to, like, I don't want to just like let this go. And I think it just like clicked like the next day, maybe the next week I was writing a wall post for someone on their birthday. And who knows what I was going to say. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to send this person a personalized video message. And then I got really excited because that was a lot of fun. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to send every single one of my Facebook friends a personalized video message on their birthday. So then the next day, I look at whose birthdays they are and I'm like, maybe I'll start tomorrow. (laughs) And I didn't do it. And then the next day I was like, this could be pretty cool. Like, I wonder what would happen if I sent every one of my Facebook friends a personalized video. So I committed to it. And to this day, which it's been well over a year, I've sent a personalized video to every single one of my Facebook friends on their birthdays. Now, this is everyone, Josh, from my brother to someone who I have no idea who they are. Yes, and I think the power of this is like, this is actually one of the biggest reasons, if not the reason, why we're sitting here. Why I felt your authentic voice just reach out to me through a video. I'm like, who's Mark Shapiro? I didn't really, really know who we were until we connected through your outreach of this video. And I think this is the double-edged sword of social, man. And this is what you talked about in your TEDx. There is different aspects. There's three different components. And one of them was being falsified. The other one is like, you know, FOMO. Like, what am I missing out on? Because we see all these people's stuff. Like, we get the highlight reels yeah. of everyone's life. Yeah. And it creates existential angst inside of the body. And I think so many people can relate to this. Um, and then there's I the- definitely can relate. I mean, that was my truth. And it still is my truth at times. And there's another piece, too, where, you know, along with this double-edged sword, there's these power to connect and FOMO. But there's also a third aspect, and it's having people that just straight up lie. Like, they literally just tell (laughs) complete and total fabrications on social, which completely transcend the FOMO aspect. So we all know about this. We've been talking about this more and more on Wellness Force, Mark. You know, the technology has the power to harm or heal. In your talk, though, you list these three segments. I'd love for you to go over these three segments again. Sure. Well, there's so many social media fails, and I've made every single one of them. And I wanted to make the talk like really concise and tight. And I only listed out three of the social media fails at the start because I would have been here all day, <laughs> right? Like yeah. saying all the things. But like, you know, a few of them is oversharing. And I've definitely done that. Uh, another one that I have in there is straight up envy, which you alluded to the envy comparison game, you know, seeing other people generate the results that you want or just, you know, straight up jealousy that someone's getting married or, you know, that they've got kids or whatever it may be. Those were some of my truths after I got divorced. And then there's also the, you know, we project this image of ourselves that we want other people to see and, Maybe part of that is true, but there's usually more to the picture than that because no one is happy. No one is hanging out with celebrities all the time. You know, life life has a balance and life has contrast. Um, and so one of the things that I share in the talk is, you know, is about phoniness. And I definitely have exhibited that behavior before and uh, I share it in the talk, but I have this Instagram handle at are you being real? And when I first launched the handle and started this podcast that, and I had zero audience, I'm like, how do I get this message out there to more people? How do I grow this business? And I chose to use uh, a bot, an Instagram bot, where I essentially bought followers for an account called Are You Being Real? <laughs> this is like the most ironic sentence. 
yeah. <laughs> in yeah. this podcast. So what made you actually come out and admit that on the talk? Like, why did you think that was so valuable for people to know about you? To me, vulnerability and openness is everything. And that is what allows us to understand each other. And to me, the happy birthday message and sending everyone birthdays, like it's way more than just about wishing someone a happy birthday. It's not actually about birthdays. It's about human connection, right? It's like if I chose to be Facebook friends with someone, it means that they provided some value for me at some part of my life. Maybe it was just out at a party once. We shared a smile and one of the two of us added the other person on Facebook. It could have been as small as that, Josh. It could have been as small as someone just like adding me and they look cool and I accepted them. Like it could be something as small as that, but they still added some sort of value. Yeah. And to me, it's acknowledging that. And in this world where there is contrast, you know, there is fear. We all have insecurities. We all have doubts and we all want one thing and that is love. And to me, taking 15 seconds to acknowledge somebody else's existence or the value that they provide in my life. I don't care if it's my best friend or a person, like I said, who I don't remember where I even met them. I can still give that person love. And I think we can all relate. It's amazing to have our Facebook feeds flooded with posts on our birthdays. How many of those posts do you actually see? How many of those actually really land and touch your heart? I'm guessing ones that just say happy birthday, you probably don't even notice them. Yeah. And a 15 second video is like, goes against the norm, right? It's super personal, it's creative, and it's meaningful. And the results speak for themselves. 70% of people reply to me. And a lot of people will ask me like, well, is that just like, is your whole life this birthday experiment? I'm like- No, not at all. Uh, I average about like there's seven birthdays a day about, and it takes me five minutes. I'm not telling the person like, hey, I haven't seen you in eight years. Please, like let's let's schedule a Skype call and catch up. Right. I'm, not, I'm not asking for that. I'm simply saying, I see that it's your birthday. You know, I really had a fun time with you that one night out in Denver four years ago when we randomly met when I was on a business trip. And I hope you're doing well. But I think what you're touching on is the scariness of being truly seen. Yeah. That's really what this is. Like most people will write a birthday card or we've all gotten like, you know, an email message. Writing a handwritten card feels pretty awesome. But what you're doing is the next level. But that's the ultimate challenge. And I feel like there's so much in our society right now around being happy. Everyone must be happy. You know, we talked with Christine Hassler on the show and it was like, there's no such thing as positive vibes only. That's not real life. This getting a message though, a video message where you're like vulnerable in this moment and you're, you're saying, I'm going to send you a message. I'm not going to be in my head. I'm just going to come from my heart for a minute and just give you a 15 second kudos on your birthday. This is actually a muscle that people's brains get to grow in this age of connectivity where Mm -hmm. let's talk about the other side where it actually disconnects us. Do you feel like this is a movement that could possibly grow or do you want it to just be something that you do? What do you think about how this could affect people, you know, sending that 15 second message to not just people on their birthday, but how about just to people you haven't connected with in a while? It goes back to the point that this is a social experiment. And how amazing are our phones? Like, let me just take a second to ask you that, right? Like, how much has your phone changed your life? It's like a love-hate. Right? (laughs) It's like a love-hate for sure. The ability to access information and to be in touch with pretty much anyone in the world at any point in time is like, holy moly, we've never had this in the history of mankind. And we have it today in our hands. And our smartphones are 10 years old. We are just scratching the surface as to how to best utilize them. And the way that we're all using them today is the status quo, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best way to use them. Like all of this envy game, projecting out these avatars, taking a break from our work and spending what we hope will be five minutes ends up being 30, 40 minutes. The average person's on their phone over four hours a day. So to me, this experiment is about what can social media ultimately be? And the way I see it is that we can either waste time on our phones or on social media, or we can invest our time 
in social media. And that's what this birthday experiment is about, is investing in the relationships, investing, you know, investing my time uh, and giving my time, giving my energy, giving my love away to others. I heard a quote a couple weeks ago from Gary Vaynerchuk, which I mean, love him or hate him. He's kind of successful for a reason now. And I think this one of the powerful things that's ever come out of his mouth, he's like, technology just makes you who you already are. <laughs> so if you're already an asshole, then technology is just going to magnify that. If you're yeah. someone that hides in life and you don't want to be seen, well, people yeah. will know from your feed of your highlight reel from your trip to Tahiti that that's all you want people to see. But you don't actually want people to see your deepest, darkest secrets. You don't want people to see your vulnerability. Sure. How do you think we can be conscious in our vulnerability this is a right. really big question man. i gotta yeah. dump it on you right now yeah, please there's one side of consciousness there's one side of vulnerability how do we know intuitively what to post what not to post do you have guidelines that you think can help us grow and help us be more emotionally intelligent about how we use social media yeah i think before you push post to ask yourself why are you posting this and who is it for right sometimes i'll make posts and it's just because I want to brag about where I'm at. And like, that's honest. I'll own that. And I think we can all relate to that, you know? And sometimes there's, you'll see people make posts that are pointing the finger at you and saying, you should do this. You should live your life this way. And it's like, really? Like you want me to live my life this way? Is that just you wanting to be heard? So I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can slice and dice it. And, I'm certainly an advocate for openness and vulnerability, and I'm also an advocate for privacy. I'm also an advocate for boundaries. I don't want to hear the next time that you're going to go drop a deuce. Like, for example, that's like, I don't (laughs) care to know that, right? So I'm not advocating. Yeah, please don't tell us that. I'm not advocating radical, you know, radical transparency, radical honesty, because that to me is the extreme. When I drill it down and the reason why I'm doing this, and this is a a fundamental piece of what my vision is for the world. And I want to live in a world where more people are open and honest. Because I believe that if we're open and honest with each other, we can actually understand each other. And when you were on on my show, we talked about this iceberg analogy that most of the iceberg is under the water. And if you look at that as an analogy for us as human beings, that we only let other people see just a fraction of us. And if we lower the water levels, people can get more of the picture and a better understanding of who we are. And if people have a better understanding of who we are, they can better support us. So everybody's wondering right now, right? Mark, how do we lower the water levels? That's yeah. what this is all so about. It's like it's, so it's, it's going to your edge and sharing a little bit more of what you're up to, what your challenges are. I think that's a great place to start. And yeah. I'll, let me push pause on this because I, I want to finish that other thought and then I'll get to get to something about uh, sharing challenges and support because I think it's really important. But if we are open and honest with each other, we can better understand each other. If we can better understand each other, we can better support each other, right? If we better support each other, we're going to be living in a world where more people are thriving. And that's the kind of world that I want to live in. Lisa. So getting back to what to share, to share more of yourself. And usually the things people don't share a lot about are personal things that they're going through. And I'm not necessarily saying you have to share it all on the internet. I think it's a great invitation that if you're going through something that is challenging for you, to talk about it with at least least someone in your life, right? To make sure you're getting some kind of support. So someone knows what's going on with you and can give you the support that will help you navigate through that uh, or out of it or make it a little bit more joyful or make you feel a little bit less alone. I ask every single one of my guests on the podcast at the end, like I asked you, what can we do to support you? And I ask every single time I go out and I'm socially, every time I take a lunch meeting at the end, I always ask, how can I support you? And I recommend for everyone to ask that question because believe it or not, most people don't ask that question and as we all know, we could all benefit from additional support. How many challenges do we face every single day? If you were to even spend the next hour thinking about what experience, what challenges you're experiencing in the next hour, I guarantee you'll experience some sort of challenge or feeling that you don't want to have that someone can help, else could help snap you out of. Mm-hmm. So I asked that question 
And the answer that I most commonly get is, huh, you know, thank you so much for asking me how you can support me. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, just like the fact that you asked makes me feel supported. Yeah, I bet everyone listening knows exactly or they don't. I mean, it's kind of like a flash in the pan. Like you either know or you don't know. I answered, yeah. I think, right away. I was like, yeah. yeah, you get to actually be the best you. That helps me the most. Be curious about what that right. process and is. And you also invite people to listen to your podcast as well. That as well, yeah. Right? So you have clear, like you know what your challenges are. And when someone asks you how they can support you, you know, it's a great way to help you know, achieve and get support on some of the challenges that you have. This is so good, man. So, so going back then to the water, like understanding that the tip of the iceberg, which is such a great metaphor, the water lowers. Mm -hmm. How do we empty the water? How do we get the iceberg so that we're more seen, more intelligent in our emotions? How do we, I think it's it's a combination of being real with ourselves about what our real life challenges are, the things that, you know, we don't want to look at the things that perhaps that we're ashamed about and pretend that, don't exist that usually helps like i mean think about like the next time you you know turn to drugs or alcohol or yeah. turn to netflix or to turn to food usually the reason why you're going to those things is to avoid something that is real and alive and present for you in the given moment when you coach people you have a lot of students let's talk about your program yeah, sure. are you being real.com yeah you talk to them about not just being authentic but also taking somewhat of an inventory you call yeah. it winning weeks yes. right how to actually truly win the week yeah did that come through you specifically two years ago or what's taking you in this direction yeah sure so as a solopreneur, you know, someone who left a lucrative corporate job to start building businesses on my own and juggling many different businesses. So I had the one and only podcast. I had this are you being real.com and are you being real brand where I was, you know, coming out with a ton of uh Instagram and social media content. And then I was doing consulting under my the ideal workplace brand. Uh, I was doing are you being real workshops. Oh, not to mention every other thing that I had going on in my life. Yeah. Right? So it's my social life with, in terms of relationships, that's my social relationships, that's familial relationships, then there's my love life. How about my health? Uh, Any kind of curiosities or passions I have, regular obligations, the circumstances that just pop up, like paying bills, you know, taking time for self-care, for self-development, curiosity, like the list goes on and on and on about the things that I ultimately authentically want to do. There's just so many of those things. And there's also so much noise in this world that's constantly like distracting me and pulling me off center. And sometimes I even choose to distract myself. And then I've got all my own insecurities and fears and doubts that sometimes get in the way of me choosing to live in authentic alignment with every one of those different buckets. And what I realized is that I didn't have enough accountability in my life. I was getting things done. You know, like I was releasing a podcast every single week. I was constantly growing my business, but things were slipping through the cracks, right? Things like not cleaning my house and like having piles literally add up like things that I'd wanted to do for like six months that I wasn't getting around to doing because I just wasn't prioritizing them or I wasn't declaring them publicly and being held accountable. And what I realized is that, well, certainly I'm not alone. We all have like 24 hours a day and so many things that we want to do in a given day. Uh, And so that's where winning weeks was birthed was to be a weekly check-in system where it's like, all right, I'm going to push pause on life for us just a few moments here and I'm going to get aligned with what I want this week to look like and what are the core ingredients for a winning week for me, whether it's staying in three nights and being social at least two or if it's calling my grandparents or if it's forwarding my professional vision, if it's getting a certain amount of hours of sleep at night, there's just so many different things that it could possibly be. And so that's why I created Winning Weeks and it's for conscious people, high achievers, you know, people who already are doing the work on themselves, who are committed to being the best human being and to being the best version of themselves that they can be. And that's a term that gets pushed around a lot, like, oh, I'm gonna be the best version of myself I can be. What I really feel from you, though, and just even talking on this podcast about your story, like that has been your intention the whole time. And would you say that that's changed at all? I mean, here we are, 2017, 
almost ready to be 2018. Yeah. Does your intention shift? Do you feel like what drives you now is way different than what drove you in the start of winning weeks? It does. It does. And I'm glad you asked it because uh, it it's a vulnerable answer. And the answer is that what drove me was to be the best human being I could be. But for me, for my own fulfillment, for my own joy, to stroke my own ego, to accomplish all of my own personal life goals, and to enhance my own personal human experience. Today, that's still a big part of the equation. (laughs) And serving others is so incredibly important to me because I've learned that is what is going to make me feel the joy. That is why I'm going to feel like I matter ultimately, that I'm here for a reason. And there is nothing that lights me up more than seeing people in my winning weeks program generate the results that they seek in their lives and watching them, you know, be better human beings, expanding their perspective. One person reunited their parents after being apart for 37 years. I've had multiple people get their dream jobs, people getting their dream relationship as a result of opening up and practicing being vulnerable and speaking their truth and letting themselves be seen. Uh, somebody acknowledged every single person in their, in their entire extended family as a result of one of the prompts that we had people, you know, that was one of the homework assignments one week. So the results, you know, they go on and on and on. But to me, it's, it's not only filling my own cup, but by serving others at the same time. So this is a motivation that changes. It changes for so many people. Sometimes like I know when I lost weight, it was coming from a place of like, well, how come nobody wants to have sex with me? So it was coming from this place of like me, like selfish need. Like I want to feel love. I want to have this. You kind of, you know, alluded to that a little bit right now. It's like, hey, when you started, the motivation wasn't the same. And so for anybody listening, it's okay to have that motivation shift. Like that's actually part of the process. I think a lot of people, Mark, start with anger and frustration Mm -hmm. as a way to like get out of that because, you know, as Arnold Schwarzenegger famously said, like anger is a lot more powerful than despair. So if somebody's in despair and they're listening right now, what's kind of one thing they can do to make that shift or maybe a handful of things? And I'm sure you've touched upon this topic on the show is asking how the anger is happening for you. And the anger is definitely still a part of my process. My relationship with this is different. Anger definitely does not come up for me as much as it used to. And I don't spend as much time in an angered state as I used to as well, because I don't just like give all my power away to anger and, you know, go down that rabbit hole and then start beating myself up and then I'm beating myself up because I was beating myself up. I think we can <laughs> it's all such a slippery to, slope to that, right? Yeah. And for example, I experienced some anger last week and I was really frustrated. I was really, really frustrated. And I'm like, why can't I get the results that I want in, in one element of my business? And what I realized, the reason why I was having the anger is because I needed to get more clear on what that element of the business was. And that's why I was feeling the frustration. And when I realized that this was happening for me so I could get more clear on that element of the business, then I sat down, I took out a notebook and I started journaling and writing down ideas and then started implementing them. And the anger was gone. Let's talk about this. So many people right now are kind of placating their emotions, man. Yeah. Like anger has become something that no one wants to address. It's part of our human yeah. experience. It's why we're here on the planet to feel a wide paradigm of emotions, including all the colors of the rainbow. So why do you think that so many men specifically, let's talk about the men listening and even women, but men especially, because we're seeing right now, in my opinion, kind of a demasculinization of yeah. males where males are actually afraid to own their anger. You work with both men and women in your courses, but from the men that you coach and, and what do you think about this being in touch with anger and how we can actually be in our masculine and being healthy in anger is part of that. To me, it's, we're not our anger. You know, we're not all of our feelings. Like we might be experiencing a feeling in the moment, but that doesn't need to define who we are. And I know for me, if I were to look at every element of myself and every emotion that I exude, I can tell you that in my opinion, my ugliest form is when I'm angry. I don't want anyone to see me angry. I despise being angry. I think that I'm so repulsive and unlikable when I'm angry. 
And whenever I experience that, I quickly point the finger and I'm like, that's who you are. You're this angry, angry person. And the reality is that's a temporary feeling. Yeah. And when I allow myself to be like, okay, that's okay. It's, it's, it's cool to be to angry from time to time. And it makes you human. And it's a temporary state, as you talked about. It's like a motivational source, right? So it's not permanent. Just like any, even happiness is fleeting. If we're chasing happiness, Mark, we're not going to ever attain it 24-7. That's not possible. Sure. I guess my my deeper question would be then, how do you feel that temporary anger serves us? And why do you think that right now in our society, when people are upset or angry about things that matter, not about Trump, not about some, you know, thing that happened in a community that you're not even connected to. That's a fear mongering tactic. That's not the anger I'm talking about. The deeper anger. How does that serve us temporarily? Well, the things that push our buttons the most are usually the areas that need to be addressed the most. I could say something to you that would really, really, you know, like just like really pisses you off. So if I said to you, like, hey, like, you, you you look like you've been losing weight. And I like, said that to someone with an eating disorder, right? That could, like, trigger them like crazy in terms of this narrative that they're telling themselves about, about, about their eating disorder. And I could say that same thing to somebody else and they could either be happy about it or I could say the same thing to someone. Someone said that to me, like, hey, you look great. Like, you look, you look thinner. I'm like, I've weighed the same amount since I was 18. So it, do, it does nothing for me when someone sure. says that. There's no trigger. So if something really triggers you, there's something there. There's a lesson to be learned there. There's work to be done there. And, um, you know, for an example, I'll give another example is when I was in my teens or in high school, when someone would say, oh, Mark, you're so gay, for example, I would take that like so personally, like it, tr- it triggered me. Cause that was a big fear that I had, like that I was gay. And what would, what would happen to me as a, as a man in this modern age, if I was gay and, and I identify as, you know, heterosexual. And at this point in time, like I, I'm in touch with my sexuality. Yeah. And if someone would say that to me, I'd be like, Oh, they're just seeing my like feminine side right now. And that's, that's cool. That's cool. So there's no trigger because I've done the work I have a better understanding of who I am and like realizing that, and and I'll just own own this, like I'm a heterosexual man. I believe sexuality is a spectrum. And I think I personally have had fantasies that have had other men in them. That doesn't mean that I want to spend my life having sex with men. I actually have zero interest in that. But the fact that I even had that fantasy is what created that fear. And part of the reason is, Men don't talk about that. Men don't talk about it. I was in a I was in a men's workshop. I'll dive into dive into this, and I think it speaks to the power of of openness and lowering those water levels. Is I was in this workshop a couple of years ago, and it was an all men's workshop. And one of my friends went into the center of the circle. I promise you, it wasn't me. It was a very close friend, though. And he went up and he said, "I identify as a heterosexual man." I love women, you know, whatever, whatever he said. But then he also said, but I'd be lying to you if, if I said that I've never had a sexual fantasy about a man. And he's like, I have a feeling I'm not alone here. So he's like, to make this safe, like, let's do a closed eye little exercise here. And I'm going to invite anyone who's ever had a sexual fantasy about another man to put their hand up. And he did it. And I think 75% of the men in the room raise their hand wow now like you know this as a as a man like men don't say that in conversation sure like i had never admitted that publicly even to a close friend at that point in time and then hearing that statistic of 75 percent, and then other people went up to him afterwards and they said hey thank you for asking that question it made me feel less alone or you know less guilty you know the, the weight i've been putting on my consciousness about that idea and it's like oh it's it's totally normal and it's so, really about shame. 
it's, it's, it's like shame. it's almost yeah, like it's, a shame a, thing. It is a shame thing. And you yeah. talked earlier, we're not our thoughts. Like just right. because we have a thought or even a feeling that comes up, those right. aren't us. That's a right. temporary state. So you know, if you're listening, don't be freaked out here. We're just talking right. about thoughts, and there thoughts don't control us, right? So that's kind of all of the work that it's, we do here on Wellness right. Force. We've all seen movies. We've all seen right? movies. And yeah, people kill people in movies, and that might make you have a thought one time of killing someone. That doesn't make you a murderer. Totally. You just adopted a thought from something else that you've seen, and it crossed your brain. Just like the other 60, 70,000 thoughts that you're having in that day, you're just deciding to apply shame and additional attention and power to that one particular thought. Man, thank you for talking about the water, the iceberg analogy, and even being so vulnerable, Mark, about just like, yeah, I have all these crazy thoughts, but they don't define me. They're not actually who I am. It's just a temporary thing that comes in and out. And I think so many people can relate to this, man. This is the last part of the show. It's seven fast questions. Awesome. And it's for Mark's truth. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's do it, baby. First question. Yeah. In life, what absolutely cracks you up to the point where you have tears in your face and your stomach hurts? Like what makes you die laughing in life? Oh, that's a good question. I really like dark humor, which is pretty funny. So I like seeing something like yeah, I it's almost an even embarrassing thing to say, but you know, if someone like trips, that makes me laugh really hard. <laughs> well, as you're long not as okay. As you're long not as you're okay. not alone. Like there's yeah. so many videos that have millions of views where somebody's like getting a two by four on their shoulder. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What is some of the inspiration you draw on now? Do you have anyone in your circle that you can name, maybe an influencer sure. or you know, some kind of external force that does keep you accountable because you keep so many other people accountable? Yeah. What really inspires me is all the amazing people around me. And I can't just say one person because I am surrounded by people that inspire me. And without them, there is no way that we'd be having this conversation here today because I'd probably still be at Showtime. Can you tell us one of them? Yeah. Uh, Lewis Howes, I'll put at the top of the list. Uh, Lewis um, was in that training at MITT, which keeps coming up here in this conversation and uh, has become a very dear friend of mine. He's encouraged me and inspired me every step of the way. And I definitely wouldn't have chosen podcasting uh, if it weren't for Lewis and, you know, to see him become a New York Times bestselling author. I mean, he's a normal guy, just like you and I, who sets powerful goals and is so giving and now is sharing incredibly vulnerably with his Mask of Masculinity book. And uh, that's just breaking the me, mold for a lot of men yeah, out there. Man. To me, you know, he is an example of what's possible when someone rises above their circumstances and the stories that they tell themselves to truly live a dream life. I think fear holds a lot of people back. And um, on your podcast, I know you explore this. You actually asked me a question about fear. But I, I want to know for you, Mark, yeah. you know, right now and on this day, at this age, with everything that's led you up to here, what is your deepest edge right now for fear? Like, what are you truly most afraid of? Yeah, there's a, I have many fears. <laughs> I, I have many fears. The fear that I've had most of my life is in regards to finding love and finding my soulmates or having kids. And since I got divorced five years ago, that's been a big part of my narrative for the last five years is the possibility of not being a dad, which is something I've always wanted more than anything else. Uh, At this juncture of time, that fear is not very alive in me. Uh, But what is alive in me is the idea that I just break down. Like I've been on this ascension now for four or five years since my divorce and my life gets better and better every single, well, not every day, but every month, let's say consistently, because I have, you know, a couple of good days and then every once in a while I have a bad day. But um, my life, everything has been ascending. And the fear is what if it all falls apart? You know, what if I lose my health? Um, What if I crash and burn and humiliate myself? That to me, if I can't keep up with everything that I'm building, that's that's my biggest fear right now. Man, I know I just felt that in my chest and everyone else. You're lying if you don't know you've thought about that at least once. So thank you for bringing that up, man. When we look at the grounding aspect, you in your talk for TEDx talked about how this duality of this the sword, you know, we have one side that tech can help us and one side that can hurt us. What do you think is possible for you on a daily basis for the rest of your life in regards to this relationship with healthy technology? I mean, is there two or three things or one thing that you want to have as a way of being? Well, I think it's funny that, you know, you asked me that and uh, I've been sending these personalized videos every day for, you know, the last, you know, well over the last year. 
And there's days that I don't want to do it. And sometimes I'm a day behind or so. And I wonder how long I'll do it for. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. Uh, but there are days where I'm like, all right, I'm exhausted. And I definitely am still addicted to my phone. Uh, I'm communicating with probably 50 people a day, probably even at least. I mean, I'm sending out so many outbound messages. I've got the podcast. Uh, there's over 100 people who've done Winning Week so far. And they're hitting me up all the time. So I love it. And the times when I'm not filling my own cup, when I'm not taking time for myself, that I get exhausted from it. So, you know, at this point in time, I can only speak to my truth right now in this moment that you know, I'm going to continue to be as giving as possible on social media and supporting my friends with whatever projects they're up to. I'm going to share their work because we could all use more support when we're like sharing and promoting stuff <laughs> we as We all well. need more inspirational and things so, all the time. So being more giving than even I have been. I, when I gave the TEDx talk, I, and I know this is kind of rapid fire, there were three main takeaways at the end of the talk. And it wasn't to send birthday messages to everyone, but it's start more conversations, whether it's with people you already know, you want to get to know, or maybe even like a dream person, a dream mentor that you want to connect with. Like send them a personalized video. You have nothing to lose. And personalized videos work. They stand out way more effective than just writing on someone's wall or sending them a direct message. Um, second is to be giving, to be giving. And that is like, if you are loving the wellness forest podcast, have you been sharing it out consistently? Like if you are sitting here loving this conversation, share it out. And like, that makes me feel weird even saying that because I'm on this episode, but any other episode, like if you love it, share it so other people too can take advantage of it. And I think that people are so nervous about their image and being judged about what they share out there that I think we've become stingy as to what we share out. And the reality is you never know how a piece of content can touch somebody else. So if it really touches you, it could potentially change or save somebody else's life. So be giving, you know, instead of just clicking like on a post, either share it out, write a comment, send the person a direct miss message or video, letting them know that it touched your heart. Because if you don't do it, maybe they won't, maybe they'll stop putting posts out like that. And then everybody loses. And then the third thing is to just straight up be real. <laughs> you know, let yeah. yourself be seen. That's ultimately what we want. We want to feel like we matter. And in order for us to be seen, we need to let our guards down and allow other people to see us. It's just ironic that the thing we want most is the thing that we keep so guarded and protected. And that's our image. Mm, man, so many nuggets in there. Thank you for just being so rock star authentic, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Two more questions. Yeah. The last one I'll be, here. I'll be less long winded. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. The last one here is around joy. So I asked you about fear, but yeah. in any moment, there's always fear and joy in every moment. So what brings you the most joy in life now? Dancing. 100%, just human and body. 100% just putting some music on and letting myself flow to the music, not caring if other people are watching me, looking at me like I'm a weirdo. To me, that lights me up and brings me more joy than anything else. Last question, man. And it's... um probably the biggest one because I feel like we've explored some scary spaces for people. So, you know, take some time, digest this episode. If this ruffled your feathers, like pay attention to that and that's okay. But we are here to explore this physical and emotional wellness, you know, this intelligence around our life and how we can live it to the fullest, to our best, to live life well. What's your definition now at this age of wellness? How do you define wellness in your life? Yeah, wellness to me, it's clearly multifaceted. So I think wellness is, it is that centeredness. It's that inner peace. It's allowing yourself to be in that inner peace. So wellness is being present and accepting the present moment as if you chose it. Uh, wellness is you know, taking care of our health. Wellness is projecting out what we want to receive in return. Are you being real.com as well as all of our social? Can they contact you? Mark Shapiro, where can they learn more? 
Yeah, at Are You Being Real on Instagram. That's usually the first place that I typically tell people to check out. Uh, lots of inspirational content there. Uh, I love to do like little dares and challenges as well on uh, on my Instagram. Uh, and I would love to engage with you. So if this resonated with you, uh, let's play. Awesome. Mark, thanks so much for having me in your amazing house. You guys check out the video here if you're watching on YouTube. Hello, if you're listening on iTunes. This is one of the coolest houses I've ever been into to record a podcast. So thanks again, you know, from my heart to yours, man. Have me at your place. Really appreciate you and, and all that you're up to in the world. Thank you, Josh. And I acknowledge you for being just an extraordinary human being and an absolutely excellent first rate interviewer. Thank you very much, man. Okay, guys, we will see you soon. If you have questions for Mark, make sure you ask him questions in the comments below. You can also leave a review on iTunes. It's really easy. Just type out a question for Mark or myself and I'll make sure he gets it. So until next time, this is Mark and Josh saying goodbye from beautiful LA or Venice. Both. Both. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page, and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone, and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.